episode 11. I know that you guys have been waiting because I did take a week off. I had such a big guest lined up. I just we had to get just let the suspense build a little bit for this one. I've got my buddy Jared Jung with us today. Jared is a uh, good friend, former college roommate. And we're not going to talk about. I don't even want to say the year when we uh, when we uh, <laughs> were rooming together because it's been a minute or two. But uh, Jared was up and spoke at our church today, um, and just has a unique story, really unique ministry. So Jared, I'll let you just go ahead and, and jump in, introduce yourself, your family, uh, kind of where you've been as far as ministry and where you're where you're going. Hopefully, real soon in ministry. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Glad to be here, and uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, yeah. So I just kind of I'm, I'm from. Uh, from Charlotte, uh, so not too far, uh, not too far here from Yadkin County, um, and grew up grew up here in North Carolina. Um, like like Jamie said, yeah, went went to UNC a room with with Jamie for a fun year. One of the one of the many fun years at Carolina. Uh, had a good time, and when when uh, I guess for both of us when we were there, we got involved in the ministry of Crew Campus Crusade for Christ and. Yeah. Uh, part of the same Bible study, uh, dorm Bible study. I think it was Craig. Craig Bible Craig. study, right? That's right. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was. I, it's really amazing. I think back on uh, a lot of the guys in the Bible study and just um, keep up with some of them still today, and just knowing where everybody is. I mean, it's 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 been neat to see the Lord kind of work through those times through that Bible study, um, and to see how He's used everybody in in these different walks of life. Um, but. Uh, yeah, just w- when I was in college, uh, got involved with crew and really loved it. Um, then um, a couple years out of college, I guess one year, it was just one year out of college, uh, kind of just found myself in a position to think through, okay, Lord, what, where would you have me in life? I think I'd, I'd always wanted to be, uh, always wanted to be in ministry, um, but had never allowed myself to maybe face that reality that that's where I wanted to be uh, at least now looking back I could I could say that I wanted to be in ministry but didn't didn't ever recognize that as as a reality I was just just never really thought oh this is what I'd end up doing um, but yeah year out of year out of college um, I, I was kind of in a position where I could um, just seek the Lord for where where would you have me go and you know single, uh, young 20s um, kind of had that well I can go anywhere right now and kind yeah. of do anything um, and so had some friends who were serving overseas with crew in East Asia and um, they were friends of mine from college and um, and went to visit them for a week in East Asia I think that was April of 2006 if I'm not mistaken yes yeah, so that's about a year almost two years out of college, April 2006, went and visited them. Um, and then the Lord just used that week to change my life um, as far as just one week there, um, maybe in five days, but just experiencing kind of their ministry and talking to students who had, uh, college students who had received Christ with them and seeing the way that they were walking. in such a short time period. I mean, these guys had only been there. They've been on the ground for, I don't know, maybe six months at that time wow. when I visited, but just the impact they had in such a short amount of time. And um, I I went back, went back to my job. I was working in construction. This is pre, pre-2008, so this is like in the construction boom years. 
uh, working in the construction industry and just couldn't get it off of my mind for the next month and kind of off of my heart and God wouldn't let it go. And so um, went back uh, in August. I, I, I quit my job and I was on a plane to go back as an intern, what we call our, our stint or short-term in, international uh, internships um, and went back to East Asia as an intern myself uh, just a few months later after my first trip there. And uh, amazing. I mean, the Lord is, is still got us there, uh, mm-hmm. has had us there since then, really. Um, I say still got us there. We're not making the transition. But um, yeah, we worked, worked for, I met my wife on the field, my wife Shelly. Uh, we met on the field there um, and we, we served in campus ministry, kind of if you think of crew or formerly known as Campus Crusade, the bread and butter of our ministry, evangelism, discipleship, did that for seven years. Felt the Lord kind of calling us away from campus ministry. Our interests uh, were, were looking elsewhere, but uh, we came back. Everything we looked at involved me kind of finishing my seminary degree and came back. And in seminary, God just didn't take East Asia off of our hearts. Uh, mm-hmm. The burden was still there. Um, and we like to say we tried to leave, but the Lord didn't let us. So after we graduated, we went right back into, into a new field. And that's where I'm working now is in this area of theological development. Um, and so... A lot of times when we think about uh, when we think about pastors, especially when you're thinking about them in our in our context here in the U.S. Uh, for for pastors, you think about a church. It's got a lot of churches will have multiple pastors, um, and those pastors oftentimes have been um, they've been trained. And you think about the plethora of opportunities we have for training. Uh, you got seminaries for any theological background, any denominational uh, affiliation. You can go part time. You can go full time. Once you're a pastor, you get on the field, you've got uh, conferences and, um, and all kinds of opportunities. You've got denominational support if you're a part of a denomination, or you've got church planning networks here in the U.S. that are giving support. You've got, and then you've got Amazon at your fingertips. You know, oh, yeah. If you need a book for <laughs> next week's sermon, uh, you, can, you can get that book very easily. Probably tomorrow now, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, um, and so what we don't realize a lot of times is that in other areas of the world— um, and these are the areas of the world you think about. We, we talk about the global south and the global east um, and missions speak. That These are the areas of the world that, you, that they're comprised of uh, Central and South America, Africa, uh, and Asia. And those areas of the world, um, in particular, in where we were in East Asia, we, we experienced a lot of this, just partnering with churches and campus ministry. But the pastors, church leaders, gospel ministers, they don't have those same opportunities. Um, and it's and, and for a lot of them, they're in the pastorate or they're in ministry. They've been in full-time ministry for years, but haven't had opportunities to get trained. Uh, many of them are living in persecuted situations, especially you think of a lot of churches in Asia, uh, just throughout, I mean, including Central Asia, the Middle East, East Asia, Southeast Asia. A lot of these churches are serving in what we call security-sensitive situations, and these pastors are serving in these situations um, they don't have access to the same resources. And yet these are the areas of the world where the church is growing the fastest. Wow. Um, right now, somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of Christians in the world reside in these areas. So mm-hmm. we're, not, we're no longer in the majority when we think about the West of Christianity. It really has, has shifted directions to the South and to the East. Um, these are largely, I mean, when you're talking about churches, you're talking about largely conservative evangelical churches. We would consider conservative evangelical churches. Um, you're talking about uh, churches that are uh, largely indigenous-led churches. Uh, they're, not, they're not being led by missionaries or planted by missionaries. 
You're talking about uh, churches that have a heart for reaching the nations, and for a lot mm-hmm. of them, because they they are from. I mean, you they, these are pastors that are in many cases are coming from unreached peoples, right. and they're serving among just by serving among their own peoples. They're serving among unreached peoples, and you think about the future of missions and what that looks like. I mean, if if our paradigm for mission sending continues to be that we're sending out from the west to reach people in these areas, and you look at kind of where the most unengaged, unchurched areas in the world, we really have to start asking some questions just about the logistics, right? Like yeah. if, if you or I wanna wanna go on a short-term missions trip to uh, to Libya, mm. not gonna. I mean, we're not gonna not get gonna a foot on the plane. If you wanna go to vacation on vacation <laughs> to Libya, you're not gonna get a foot on the plane. Uh, yeah. You're not gonna get a visa. You know, it's there's all these there's there's all these issues, but we can. There are that doesn't mean that, that God isn't in these places, He's not work at work in these places, because a lot of these places they do have churches that are growing, that are thriving. One of the largest or one of the quickest growing churches in the world right now is actually in Iran. Like, wow. Who would have guessed that? Um, but and it's growing largely underground. Um, and that these are the areas where the training is needed the most, and yet they don't have uh, they don't have opportunities for that. And so the Lord called us uh, called us to go back into that and, and seminary. I just I'd always kind of fallen in love with theological study and always enjoyed it. Seminary just really affirmed that. It was like a, a kind of like a greenhouse effect, I think, mm-hmm. on me uh, spiritually and just intellectually and had a great experience and wanted to be a part of of doing that. Uh, we realized, hey, we speak the language from where we're in East Asia and these pastors, um, you know, they're saying what we need really is we need more training. We need more training. If we're, wow. if we're going to reach the nations, if we're going to be a part of this, like we need more training. And so, yeah, the Lord called us right back uh, to go to go back to East Asia. So we've been there the last five years. Um, and, yes, yeah, serving in the, area, in, in the area of theological development. So working with churches there, working with house churches uh, in the country where we were and in the city where we were, uh, some developing uh, seminaries there, local developing seminaries, uh, working with our local staff there um, and helping them to provide them for opportunities for theological training, theological education. Sometimes that looks like teaching, uh, preaching. Sometimes it just looks like mentoring, taking them kind of t- taking the, these are younger families who are uh, in ministry and in difficult situations. Uh, a lot of times just being a Christian is considered such a cross-cultural thing. Uh, and yet they haven't been trained and you think about being a Christian leader, a pastor in that situation and you're, you, you don't know, you, you have no example of what a Christian family looks like, right? Like you, if for many, <laughs> for many of them, like if their parents were Christians, it was because they shared the gospel with their parents after oh, wow. they became Christians. Yeah. So you're talking about these first generation Christians and yet they're leading churches where people are looking to them to be the example and so even just mentoring, my wife and I did a, a lot of just mentoring, trying to take some of them under our wing and help them out through different life phases and things like that. Um, and so it was a real privilege, but um, in that that area of the world and that country in particular right now, um, security uh, issues, have they've been ramping up now for a couple of years, and I'm not going to go into to, to, to many details uh, for the sake of the believers that are still serving and worshiping faithfully there, but... Uh, we safe to say the security's been ramping up and it's gotten more difficult to do the work of theological development there. And so we ended up having to make a change. Uh, we're going to, uh, the Lord's 
provided a way for us to continue to do that work. We believe it is important work and we're actually moving to Singapore now. We're staying uh, on staff with crew, but working at a East Asia School of Theology. So um, East Asia School of Theology, AST, um, East, our student body, um, it's not a Singaporean student body, at least not primarily a Singaporean student body. It's largely an international student body that's coming from uh, areas like East Asia, uh, also Southeast Asia, uh, South Asia, places like that. Uh, and the students, uh, They'll, they'll come to Singapore, Singapore being a, a big kind of hub for international travel, uh, and, and it's a very international city. Uh, they can come to Singapore, and they can study, um, and they can receive theological training to take back with them to their country, or to go in. A lot of our students will actually end up going into cross-cultural missions after they graduate. Um, but it's, it's, again, it's working with those, uh, many of them coming from very under-resourced areas, um, and being able to continue to provide provide that kind of theological training opportunities for pastoral training for them. And so we're really excited. We're, we're thankful to the Lord that he's kind of provided us the opportunity to, uh, to, keep, to, to keep at this. We really believe it's one of the most, certainly one of the most crucial missions activities we can be involved in today for the future of the global church um, and for the future, I think, of the Western church as well. I mean, we need yeah. We need these churches to, to be able to speak into our situations. And, um, they just don't have a voice at the table. And, um, and so for the sake of the whole global church, just feel real privileged to, to get to continue in the ministry. Yeah, that's awesome. we got to start thinking that way and maybe thinking, like you said, how is the church as a whole, the, the worldwide church, shifting? And how can, how can we, say we as Americans, help? And maybe it's not the typical ways we think going on short-term missions, which are good, can be good, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, like you said, helping to train these other people from other nations who can go places we can't go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who can get into those places, um, and they're just who are, uh, you know, on fire for the, the Lord, many of them, and just need some mentoring, some direction, some help in doing that. I think that's awesome. We're going to dive kind of right back into that into, uh, in just a little bit. Uh, but want to get into our usual uh, deep three right. questions that, that we uh, go through with everyone. So uh, the favorite one, uh, Jared Bean, what is your favorite sports memory? Yeah, favorite sports memory. Um, I myself don't have many athletic feats to report on um, or many athletic successes. I think I love to play sports, but... Um, I would love, always love to play them better. I, I think mediocre at best at most most sports that I've played. Um, but I am I'm, I'm a, a sports fan. I try to follow sports from overseas. Um, there's a number that I can think of. I think, you know, here, I mean, I'm on this podcast. I'm here with you, Jamie. We went to Carolina together and obviously Carolina basketball in, a, yeah. in the middle of a big transition right now. Um, I think I'll go with, uh, yeah, what, uh, which was – probably for me, the 2005 National Championship. Yes. Uh, so I grew up grew up a Tar Heel fan here in North Carolina. I grew up a Carolina fan. And the, the last National Championship was 1993. And yeah. I was pretty young then. I, I think I may have watched some of it and didn't fully grasp what that meant. But then as I got older, into my teenage years, it's like, you know, you, you every year uh, there's that hope and that hope right. and that hope. And then it's just the NCAA tournament is a hard thing to win. <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, uh, and, yes, and it is. it's uh, it's it's difficult. And so waiting and waiting. And then finally, I went to Carolina, uh, got really excited, and uh, happened to be there for what's probably the 
my four years of college were probably the worst four year entire in the history of the program. <laughs> yeah. The worst four year run uh, in 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 Carolina basketball history. So one yeah. year after I graduated, we uh, we finally won a national championship under Roy Williams, and I just remember, yeah, it was it, it was really exciting. Uh, it was it was kind of like this is. This is what uh this is what you know you've been waiting for all these years and you've right. seen final four runs that uh, they never made it and but then finally to go all the way that was really exciting and I mean since then there's been a couple more but um I think that one was the most special just because of the waiting for me that'll be the first one I really remember right so we were there um you know, I was a year ahead in school but mm-hmm. uh, my first year being there being my sophomore year we were there for the coach Doherty. Uh, yep. years and uh, I thought you may mention I remember this I think it was against Georgia Tech we were at a game together and Adam Morrison uh, threw one down pretty hard on somebody and I that think was that the... we like high-fived or <laughs> hugged or something and we were 8-20 and 20 that season that's that right like yeah the that was the highlight of the, of the year I think that was the yeah. highlight of Adam Morrison's career that was it yeah, <laughs> that was a rough transition uh, Guthridge great guy uh, did okay coaching Dean's players, didn't bring in any of his own. Didn't leave him with uh, Dory, not a whole lot. I mean, we did go, I think, uh, would have been your freshman year. We were number one for Number one, one for year. like a week or two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe Forte and Joey's Peppers. Yeah. Uh, were were uh, leading the squad. Oh, Curry. We beat Duke that year. That was yeah. fun, too. Uh, I remember my first Duke game at Carolina getting yeah. to run to Franklin Street. Um because I think Brendan Haywood hit the free throws, if I'm remembering. Oh yeah, I remember watching that. That was really that unexpected. Crew. Yeah, 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 and uh, that was that was a lot of fun as well. Yeah, good times there for sure. It was all downhill from there for it, the rest of it, my college years. It was, <laughs> it was a rough time, but you know, of course, last year lost to Clemson, but even at that point, we'd still be Clemson that year. Yep. we always beat Clemson yep. until we didn't last year. Last year, but uh, that's all right. Uh, another thing I remember uh, was our glorious. Uh, Intramural softball run. Okay. The, the Goonies. This the Goonies made actually they were another thought that I had yeah. about like a awesome sports memory because that was <laughs> unexpected. Yeah, um, it was like um the bad news bears kind of sort of type yes. thing. We did have a ringer. Yeah. We, we brought on Mark Flanders. Yes. Mark, if you're listening in Indiana, we brought <laughs> you on kind of halfway through the season and that made it's a great pickup. It was. It was a good one. <laughs> But we were just this ragtag bunch of people who, um, you know, mediocre is probably a strong word. I think we had Flanders and a couple of us who kind of knew what we were doing. Yeah. And just total <laughs> ragtag this co-ed team together. We had a great team mom, brought us snacks, and we made a run uh, in the tournament. Yep, yeah. And lost to, I think it was a group of uh, exercise sports science. Yeah, we didn't uh, stand a chance. We students. met our match. What are they doing in the rec league? Yeah, they had no business being in the rec league. But that was an awesome. Was that time. that may have been the championship game? Too. It was. That was for a T-shirt. It was, man. And I was, you know, uh, Doctor Prim, who I had on last time, Juliana, I think has seven T-shirts, and I just wanted one. Wow. Yeah. So she just kind of uh, did that. So that's <laughs> you get a T-shirt for winning an interval championship, and it's kind of a big deal at, at yeah. UNC. We got real close, uh, but I, I remember one time. Uh, I think I was probably playing outfield, and you were like shortstop or something, and we had a pretty nasty collision. Yeah. Uh, oh, I remember that. Yeah. And, uh, I think I was I running the bases I, with ice on my yeah. eye or something <laughs> like that. I think I still caught the ball, uh, but we just—I mean, 
They could have made a TV movie uh, for us if we had won The Goonies. That. The Goonies made a great one. Goonies never say die. Thanks for our shirt set. We didn't. So, uh, good times for sure. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, memories could go on forever. All right. Uh, what next uh, shift into culture? Uh, what's something you can't get enough of right now? Oh, man. I, actually, we were just talking about this before the podcast. So, I, in October... We've been so we've been here in the U.S. and and uh, because of COVID, largely because of COVID. Well, I think th- I don't know. Throughout my adult life, I've anytime I'm in the U.S., I've kind of tinkered with fly fishing to some degree. But if you've ever tinkered with fly fishing, you find out it's really hard and it's really <laughs> frustrating. Um, and I just decided I was actually gonna. Well, actually, what happened in in, in October of last year, uh, we went to visit some uh, some supporters of ours uh, in Georgia and um, actually had a guided fly fishing trip for the first time. And I told my wife, look, I'm gonna go do this. I, I, I had no equipment, I'd, given, I'd already given up fly fishing like four times. Um, <laughs> but I was like, look, I know if I do this, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm, yeah. I'm in, cause I'm going with a guide, I'm probably gonna catch something which I couldn't do on my own. And so uh, that's exactly what happened. And so ever since then, I've, I've just, really gotten into fly fishing again i don't know why i torture myself uh but i go anytime i can get some free time obviously i'm in i'm in chapel hill uh so there's not a lot i, I really only like trout fishing um in rivers there's not a lot of there is no trout fishing in chapel hill you have to come out west to the mountains but if i can scoot down the road a couple of hours yeah. and get get an afternoon or something i'll try to do that and um i am no good i, I since then i i will say i've i've hooked several trout i've yet to land one mm. um but it's just a blast i love being out in i love being out in nature i love ri- i love the mountains first off um whether it's kind of the mountains the blue ridge mountains here in north carolina or big mountains going out west i i've, I've always if you ask me if i'm a mountains or beach guy which is kind of a unique it's kind of a unique north carolina thing because we have both i'm true i'm definitely a mountains guy my wife is is not she's she's grew up on the beach but um, I just love being in the mountains. I love being in the cold, the cold streams. Um, yeah, just the natural beauty of that and getting to kind of fish in that. It's really quiet. Um, and then every once in a while you, you get lucky and you, you hook a trout. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's a thrill and maybe one day I'll land one on my own, but you got this, but got yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm this. not giving up. I'm not, in fact, go. I, I'm supposed to go, uh, we're, we're going out to Utah next month nice. for, a, for a wedding and, um, I'm going out there. So that's like, that to me is like the, the that's as good as it gets. Cause I'm going to be yeah. out in the big mountains fishing, really looking forward to that. Nice. Best of luck. <laughs> and I'm glad you haven't given up this time. You're going to get that trout coming up soon. It's going to happen. That's right. Um, all right. And the the final one, kind of the faith aspect here, which is kind of what sure. we're, we're talking about mostly. But what's something God's teaching you right now, maybe in this, this unique season that you found yourself and your family being in? Yeah. So um, I think for us, uh, you know, the biggest lesson I think I've learned right now is it sounds so cliche, but really um, that God's ways are not our ways um, and that his ways are better than our ways. Um, and again, I know that sounds, I know we say things like that all the time and it sounds cliche, but we've, for my family, our, our uh, yeah, we've just had a, a, a crazy year of upheaval with COVID. Um, and we, we've not been sick, thankfully, and really no one close to us has been sick. We, we're, we're grateful for that. But, but just for us, it really displaced us 
Um, and it was right in the middle of a transition that was already, we were already preparing, moving from East Asia to Singapore, right in the middle of that COVID hit. Um, and we ended up back here in the States. So that transition has gone on for longer. But um, yeah, it's just, and then th- there's just been so much that my wife and I look back on and we just think, wow, God's, we would have never planned, you know, a right. year like the year we've had. And yet we've seen God do some really amazing things. And, um, and just, I mean, I don't know. I even just thinking through our, you know, to move from where we were in East Asia to Singapore, the biggest kind of step of faith was the cost of living in Singapore. Mm. It's just, it's a, it's an expensive city or country city state to live in. And we, that was always our biggest question. Can we do this? And as crew staff, you're, you know, your, your support raise, you raise your own support, um, and you know, the number we got for what we needed to make that cost of living jump, we just thought, how are we going to do this in COVID and made, made big plans and thought this is how we got to make it happen and how we're doing it. And God really, he did it. We just finished this last week. Praise God. Nice. It was a big week. Um, but, um, but even in the midst of finishing, even in the midst of that, it it's just kind of like the way that he went about it was mm. nothing what we thought yeah. would have to happen for it to happen. Um, and so we're, 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 we're floored and we should, you know, you get to the point of like, I shouldn't be, why am I still shocked by God's goodness? Like, why, am I, why do I still get surprised at his goodness or that he can take these situations and really redeem them and provide in those ways? But we are, uh, we're, yeah. we're both just, Shelly and I both are just totally shocked and, um, really, really thankful. I love what you said right there. Um, his ways aren't our ways, and I think that probably we would all agree with that, and I think we would usually say that his ways are better, but I don't know that we actually <laughs> believe that. Yeah. So not just are they different, but they're way better than ours. It's a lot easier to say that on the other side of something when sure. you're going through something. You know, it's yes. a lot more difficult to say. Um, you know, a lot of times it's more like, "What in the world are you doing, Lord?" But um, yeah, it's just yeah, you come come out of it. I think so many times, and you look back and you think, "Whoa, God was He was working there, and um, yeah, it was better than anything I could have yeah. designed for myself." Wow, that's awesome. Well, congrats on being. Fully funded. Thanks, and, yeah. Uh, we'll yeah. kind of dig back into your role in, in here in sure. a second. I do like to throw in uh, some trivia questions, and, and sometimes oh, I've got a theme. This is kind of a mixed bag uh, here for you. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, – uh, you'll see. You'll see the theme here. Oh, boy. So the first question is uh, who is the uh, UNC's uh, all-time three-point uh, field goal percentage leader? Field goal percentage leader? Field goal percentage, three-pointers. Three point, three Not the most made, but who has the highest, the best percentage? Is it Reggie? Not Reggie. Marcus, I, I, I want to say Marcus Page. He was like the first kind of, that I, that I can remember somebody was like such yeah. a prolific shooter. But Marcus I don't Page has the most yeah, okay, okay. career. Uh, but think, think low. Tyler, think. Tyler Hansbro, the one that he hit that year <laughs> oh, against Duke. Oh, is there a limit? Is there like a minimum they had to take? <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say think very, uh, very much about uh, recent events as far as the team goes. Oh man, hmm, a pretty important part of the team right now. 
Why am I blanking on what this <laughs> who this could be? Is it who are the big shooters this year? You're gonna have to answer this. You have to think I'm back sorry. in the past a little bit. Was it Hubert? Hubert. Sorry, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Coach I th- actually, now I think I read that yeah. somewhere. Hubert Davis, and now the coach. Also, I just saw um, recently number two all time NBA three point percentage behind only Steve Kerr. Really? And Hubert Davis, second in NBA history in, in three point percentage. Well, maybe he's 44% and Steve Kerr's 45. We haven't been the best three point Yeah, so hopefully he can get some people to shoot. That's what I thought when I finally realized that it was true that he was coaching and who was not. I was like, well, okay. Get some guys who can shoot like you, so we can get we get somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, Hubert Davis, uh, uh, guy known for his strong faith, was very unapologetic about it in yeah. his press conference. So, looking forward to to him um, being being the coach. Uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, and, I, and I'm sure they're listening, right? Uh, Morgan uh, Havens is her name now. Was in crew. She was like Hubert's babysitter. <laughs> So okay. We're like one degree from there. You go from from uh, <laughs> from Hubert. So uh, okay, I, I know you got this one. Oh no! Changing gears. Now the pressure's bit. on. Okay. Uh, who's the founder of Campus Crusade? Oh, that's that's Doctor Bright. Okay. Bill Bright. Bill Bright. Yes. Uh, so uh, just thinking about crew, we talked about it. You talked about a little bit about just the importance of it. It was so vital for me too uh, in college, um, and I was just trying to just quickly think through jot down a few people that we know that were in crew with us um that are in ministry right now there's so, so many yeah just a lot of people i, I mean um spent shelton's one who's pastor down in church in, in charlotte in right? charlotte mercy yeah. mercy church down in charlotte he was at summit um in you are writing uh gosh i really don't know what i said right here oh that's you Jared is yeah. one. Uh, <laughs> me, that is another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan? Yeah. Is up in Boston? Mm-hmm. Is it Boston? or I can't remember. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. Charlie uh, was at was that Summit for a while, and he still is. I mean, the list can go on and on. I just think it's crazy. A bunch of people are on staff with crew, not just you know internationally, but some at Carolina, some mm-hmm. other places. Uh, I mean... You kind of touched on this, but what what do you think it is? I mean, is just something special about the organization where so many people end up being either working with and for crew or just being in ministry? Like, something works. <laughs> yeah, I do think it's, um, you know, it's interesting. Another guy who um, is who I served with in East Asia for a while, who just recently, he's he's gone into the pastorate now, but um, I it, we were kind of talking about this and he yeah he mentioned that um really it's we there's a model of discipleship and crew and and let's i mean now when we think about crew we're talking primarily here about the campus the college campus ministry right, right? that's that's that really is where the bread and butter is still but um there's something i mean from my from my own experience i came into college i grew up in a christian home and um but came to college and um, just realized, look, like now this, my faith is not my parents mm. anymore. And not, not that it had strictly been my parents, but there's something about being on your own for the first time. Sure. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm living by myself and now I've got to actually make, like, I've got to get myself out of bed to go to church. Um, and it's very intimidating to come to college, I think, 
in that environment, or at least to come to a you know a public a, a huge public university. Yeah. Um, like like UNC, and um, yeah, I I mean I'll never forget. Actually, it's really funny the the uh, I was so the way I got involved with crew was um, I was in my dorm, and I was with with uh, with hanging out with my freshman year roommate. We were in the dorm room and. We were playing either myself or him had run across this like comedy sketch. This is in, this is a Napster. I think. It's oh like, wow! Way yeah. back in the day, Napster. not YouTube. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and and we were both just dying laughing at this comedy sketch, and there was like, uh, um, and it was you know, but the the comedian I can't remember which comedian it was or whoever it was. It was Chris Rock or somebody like that. We're like yeah. dying laughing, but he's just like you know the the language is filthy and totally inappropriate. Well, anyway. Coming, growing up in the SBC, I was like, I'll go to, I'll join in with the Baptist Student Union. And yeah. it's like at that moment, a BSU guy walks into our dorm room. It's open. It's like, hey, is Jared here? I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, I'm like, I'm busted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> too embarrassed. You know, age 18, yeah. like way too embarrassed to yeah. like ever go to a BSU meeting as if they would remember me or know me. But anyway, the next week, uh, I, I come back to my dorm room and, uh, and, and I can't remember if it was Dennis or Brian, one of the oh, two yeah. of those guys uh had had left a message we used to have like these little like whiteboards that you uh-huh. put on the outside of your door hey so and so uh we're having a bible study on tuesday um love for you to join us well they didn't catch me actively in any kind of terrible <laughs> sin or anything like that yeah. so i was like i'll do that one and um but yeah it but that that one meeting i mean the connection that that we made it was it was myself and then a group of guys uh who were freshmen and sophomores, kind of the same situation that I was in. We're all just trying to walk with the Lord in college, and I really don't know how we're going to do it, feeling really intimidated by trying to do that. Um, you know, you occasionally get some guys that are, like, going to be the governor or the president someday. That are, yeah. But for most of us, I feel like it's like it's, it's very intimidating to, to be out there and to feel like you're alone in that and to, to come together with other guys that are like that. It was life changing. I mean that first Bible study I'll never forget it was life changing. And the first and then going to the first weekly meeting together with the group of guys from Bible study and uh it, it just uh, yeah, I was done at that point. And that discipleship process of having these older first older students pour into my life when I was an underclassman and and just spend time and hang out and make me feel like somebody who was valued. Um and then and 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 to talk about faith in life and to challenge me on areas of my life and to hold me accountable for those things and then later on when I was an upperclassman to have actually crew staff um, mm-hmm. take take me under their wing Chad McGee kind of takes yeah. me under his wing and does just does the same thing um, and then also I'm being put simultaneously being put into like ministry leadership positions too so you're not just getting discipled but you're also also being encouraged in ministry that way I think there's something about that model that you learn a certain way of life of of um, you learn a certain way of loving the Lord and you, you learn it in community in a way that's always kind of it's outward looking the inward is always is always going outward um, to where it just sticks with you mm. and um, yeah it becomes a way of life I've, I've heard people kind of criticize organizations like crew because it's like well it becomes your church when you're in college and when you leave, yeah. um, you know, when, when students leave college, they don't know like what to do or how to be involved in church and things like that. And, um, I just think, man, I, 
I don't know. I feel like I learned how to be involved in church through crew. And any right. church that I've been involved with, it, it's my it's my crew experience yeah. that has allowed me to enter into ministry into that church and to and you know the God's used that to train me for church ministry. And I know a number of people like that, whether or not it's full time church ministry or just lay people. If you can get if you have former crew people in your church, a lot yes. of times those are the ones that are. They're, they're the most involved in discipleship and evangelism. They know they don't have to be trained mm. to do these things. And, yeah, it just it just sticks with you. For sure. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I would say for a while, maybe I was more plugged into crew than church, but just, just what I learned there, there's the opportunity for the large group gathering to worship. Mm-hmm. The small group is consistent. And, like you said, even smaller than that, the, the one-on-one, the triads, whatever it be, uh, it's just there, so the this the the model is you know so good, it's easily replicated and yeah just yeah. just amazed thinking back even now you're saying other names I'm like oh yeah this guy was so important to me and that guy was important to me and I remember when this guy like asked this girl out or like pr- proposed and I was a part of that just the family of it yeah it was just it's amazing uh, so yeah and and I get that kind of. Being in a place like Carolina where, you know, like you said, there's so many people who are going to do so many big things. Like, it can you can easily feel like, man, I am, who am I <laughs> compared yeah. to these people? But just to walk alongside them, as far as ministry goes, is just amazing. So, um, okay, last question. And I'll go ahead and say, I don't know the answer to this question because okay. I got, uh, I'm just going to see what you say uh, and kind of transition our conversation a little bit. What's the largest Asian food uh like restaurant chain in the United States chain like the food chain like a uh, restaurant chain like um, okay that's tricky because I think some of them are owned by the same people um, like I think PF Chains and like Panda Express are like the same group okay well that's two answers I got so I'm going to say if you know they're owned by the same people then I would then guess win. I would guess it would be one of those two yeah. or like Payway <laughs> well I pull you know look on Google and one of them's like Panda Express is by far the largest, and then the next next article is like PF Chang's is the biggest. I'm like, well, what are you wrong? They're de- <laughs> like, what if you are wrong? They're competing. So, um, how um, how different is the food that we think of as Asian from what it actually is when you're in the country? <laughs> how different is it? Oh, it's uh, it's it is. Yes, yeah, so I'll put it this way. Essentially, when you eat, like, let's say you eat Chinese food in America, um, what you're getting primarily, what we like to eat here in America, is there's one dish, right? One dish in China. Um, and when you're in America, it's like seven different versions of that one dish. Yeah. So we really don't touch the, the gamut. At least, so with Chinese food, it's like that. And then, of course, with um, it's always sweetened more here in America. Oh, sure. It's always sweeter, and they and um, I think a lot of times it's, and it doesn't matter. I'm not just it's it's you know it's it's Chinese food. It's uh it's it's Thai food. It's uh, the, the diversity of flavor. We just we don't get that mm. here in America necessarily. And and a big reason is that it's just expensive to make authentic Asian food. Right. When you're not in Asia, getting yeah. the ingredients to do it is really difficult. It's not difficult there, but to to get them in America, yeah, we don't have those at markets. Even you get them at 
Asian markets a lot of times and it's been imported the, the whatever the peppercorns have lost you know that what they need to get that same bite or yeah uh, the chilies just aren't quite as spicy or things like that um, and so um, yeah we we tend and I think this is shifting from what I can tell this is shifting kind of some in American culture when we think of Asian food we, we tend to think of like takeout something that's like quick um, quick easy it's, yeah. it's fast food right um, the problem is that you can't, you cannot provide authentic Asian food at that price point, mm. um, and so it is. It's a lot of times it's taken and it's sweetened up. It's made like really replicable, and it, you're you're missing a lot of the flavors. So yeah, it's right. it's two different worlds. Okay. Uh, the first time I went to East Asia, and I tried the food for the first time, it was like, what in the world is this, and why <laughs> have I never eaten this in my life? Yeah, you yeah. know, like this is. You know, this, I mean, this, I'll never, if, if you said you can eat this for the rest of your life or and never have an, an egg roll again, I'd be like, I'll never have another egg roll wow. again. Okay. Um, because this is unbelievable. And then you'd go to, and that was one restaurant, and then you'd yeah. go to a restaurant, it's like, well, this is like the halal food, you know, that this like halal, oh, yeah. this like Muslim people group that they right. make. And you go and you like try that food and you're like, wow, they did it again. Like it's another yeah. new food that I've never had that's just phenomenal. And so... Uh, yeah, it's you. You can get it in America, but you do have to pay for it. Okay. To get it, it's yeah. I hadn't thought about that as far as the mass production, and we got to do here a different thing as far as speed, ease of cooking, and just uh, freshness of ingredients sure. and cost well, I mean, ingredients. So. Like my wife and I have tried to replicate it sometimes at home, and we'll get an authentic recipe, and we look at it, and we're like, there are, there's like. 13 spices that go into the sauce that goes on top of this like chicken that's got to yeah. be cut a certain way and like fried a certain way and you know and, and I just think back you know and I'm like yeah that makes sense because if you walk back into a kitchen where we were in East Asia it's like one guy standing sometimes without a shirt on my daughter <laughs> one of the chefs said our favorite restaurant my daughter called the naked chef just hilarious because he just wore an apron it's really really hot in the yeah, summer yeah. Uh, where we were and then you get in the kitchen and it's like even and so this guy he cooked in an apron with no shirt on <laughs> he wasn't all the way naked he had on pants but apron and no shirt but you know he's back there and he's got a, a giant wok over like a thousand foot flame that you hear it sounds like a jet engine when he's running out of this propane tank and he's just got this big ladle and all of these bowls of spices laid out and there's oh, wow. no rest he's just like takes that later like boom 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 and flicks all these spices in and stir fries it stir fries it for five minutes that's all it takes to to cook it at the yeah. temperatures and then it's this perfect dish and so wow. we're like okay that's why we can't make this because there's yeah. so much involved in it um and it, it yeah there's a level of expertise that you just we don't have here wow. i think sounds delicious to me you go it's good go try it one day for sure and find the uh the naked chef and get, get yeah. everything signed up, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right, we'll kind of uh, segue back in. You mentioned some of these things earlier, uh, but it, thinking about your your new role again uh, in, in Singapore, um, and we talked. You talked a little about the shifting kind of the church shifting um, to the east and to the south. Mm-hmm. Um, how is how is your role going to continue to to impact that and to help? The gospel spread and to help people be discipled. We talked about the importance of discipleship and crew. How, how is your role going to continue to play and uh, have an effect on that uh, as far as the church worldwide? 
Sure, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I can answer what I what I really hope for at least. Um, I'm I'm new to this role, getting I'm getting used to like actually. I've been a professor at different times, but it's never been my like official thing. Now okay. I'm officially a professor, which yeah. is taking some getting used to. Um, but um, yeah, I think we can. So I'm thinking of the best way to put this. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just what, what we've kind of already talked about, where we're teaching people who. Um, oftentimes there it's not some of them now some of them the cases that they're wanting to go into ministry and so they're able to get training um, but for a lot of them they've been in ministry mm. and they recognize they need the training and they come in um, I've been yeah so I've, I've been in situations where it's not unusual to hear that our church like 50, we just lost 50% of our church to a cult Wow, the pastor is the you know it's just boom just like that, uh, and the pastor, uh, I've, I've been in situations where the pastor is lost to a cult. I mean, I've, I've I've seen that happen, heard of that happening. I've been in situations where churches um, they split over rumor, um, and the community is absolutely destroyed, um, yeah. and you you start digging down and you realize. This didn't have to happen. I mean, this was like a cultural. This is where kind of Christian now in every area when Christian when the gospel enters an area, there's going to be areas where it agrees with the culture. I think because mm-hmm. of common grace, there's going to be areas where um, there's going to it's going to butt up against the culture because of the impact of sin on all of our cultures and institutions and all of life. Um, but um, when I look at it, I'm realizing you're you're the church has been leaning. They, the worldview is not there. And the worldview wasn't there for the leaders of the church and for the members of the church mm-hmm. to where now they're leaning more on some of those aspects of the culture that were more butt up against what the gospel says. Things like church unity. Um, I just taught I just taught a course, and um, the last part of the course was I was teaching uh, teaching on ecclesiology, so teaching on the doctrine of the church, and I started talking about the unity of the church, and um, they, there was so much pushback. Um, just on the idea of churches connecting to each other in an area. Um, because you don't know who, if, if I connect with this church, I don't know if they're part of the cult. I don't know if the government is, I don't know if the government's talking to them and they're in trouble with the government right now. So if I, I get in trouble by association, like there's no, there's no place for this kind of a unity that you would talk about here or this kind of a getting to know each other that you would talk about here. Um, and these are, but but at the same time, these are pastors of churches that are ready to send missionaries out to the nations. And so there's just this disparity of like, this is where you're going, but look at where you are right now. Um, and and so um, look at look at where the needs are, and there there's this huge gap. Um, and churches, a lot of times, churches split, they fall apart, and um, and it's like, man, if we could just if we could train, you know, and and yeah. it's not just I. It's not just training as in we if we could just go in and you know give them what we've got that's not what I mean right. I mean if but if like we could develop a uh, you know just get started just a little bit just the the seed of some sort of a system of training um, for these churches for their leaders um, to be able to go in and to to do this um, so that 
so that they're they're better protected against these issues that we we can, some things that we kind of take for granted um, in our churches here. I think it's just how much more on down the road is that going to impact them when they're ready to send out missionaries to the nations? Yeah, I guess or, I was I was thinking I really uh, wasn't expecting like some of the things you just said and maybe not what I just had imagined, envisioned, heard. I guess I. It, part of it is, uh, you know, my not knowing, but also just, I wouldn't expect there to be that type of division there. I felt like that was always what we talked about having here, where there's so many, like, really like flaky, uh, shallow reasons why people may leave churches in America because there's another one down the street. But to hear you say that people are, are literally about partnering with different churches and yeah. I don't know, I guess I, wouldn't, well, I just wasn't expecting that, but uh, maybe that even, for me, drives home for the point of, you know, Jesus telling his disciples as he's about to go to the cross, like, you got to love one another. Like, he knew it was coming, and it's still what the, the, the enemy is doing <laughs> to to keep that disunity yeah. being. Yeah. And again, there. this is, I mean, we're not talking about a few churches just like a few churches that are the exception to the rule. We're talking about the majority of churches in the world today. The leader hasn't been trained. 85% of church leaders in the world today have not been trained. And a the, lot of that 15% the men, is the, like here. The amount of minutes that was the average? I know you shared this. Oh, I saw a statistic. Yeah, this was... Um, this was years ago. I don't know what it would be now, but yeah, it was the the statistic was something like in these areas, the average amount of time spent in in pastoral training, and you know, you're expecting the answer to be like, oh, one month or one yeah. week, and it was something like eight minutes. Yeah, for a lot of these leaders, and it's and it's yeah. it's not that they don't is it's not that they don't want it. Right. It's just not it's just not available. Um, and I think anytime you get into missions and the gospel goes in a new area, you reach that point to where you need to be able to train leaders. Mm. And that's a very, it's a very key point to kind of in, in launching a lot of ways. I mean, any yeah. good missionary is trying to work themselves out of a job in the end. And that's one key, that's a milestone towards working yourself out of a job right? to be able to do that. So, yeah, that's, I mean, one way just teaching, I mean, teaching these students that are coming from these areas, um, it's really exciting and knowing that I'm going to get to impact, at least I hope I'm able to impact in some small way these areas and, and building healthy churches, giving some, some sort of a, 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 something that can help to build healthy churches in this area to where the future, what I consider to be the future of, the global church, future yeah. leadership of the global church, um, where that's 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 going forth in that way, um, is really yeah, it's really exciting and I mean I really do think I can't I can't talk about this enough. The the future is not the the future of evangelicalism, the future of the church. It's not necessarily here mm. in the U.S. Um, we have to kind of get used to that idea. Right. It really is. It really is in these areas of the world in the, in the majority world that's where the future is um, and those are going to be the future leaders I mean you even look in in our own country it's already started now um, you think about the the Anglican church the Episcopalian church and even in the US there's this kind of this break off from the Episcopalian church of the US with um, this group of Episcopalians that have basically said we don't like we, we want to hold to the doctrines of the faith 
you know, we're essentially saying we want to be evangelical. We want to keep right. being conservative. We don't want right. to be liberal. Yeah. Um, and um, but when you're under this kind of structure, this leadership structure that they have and the polity that they have, um, we have to find somebody. So guess who's leading the way in that? Well, they're, they these churches have come under an African diocese huh. that, that, that they report to, essentially, wow. um, of Anglicanism. Right. And so you even you've even started to see that happening even now. Yeah. In some of the mainline denominations in the U.S. But it's I mean, it's we have so much to learn from these churches um, that it's yeah, what we're doing now, it's not just impacting those churches. It's it's going to it's going to come back around and impact us sure. as well, I think, in a good way. Wow. That is good, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, we've kind of talked for a good bit. We uh sort of gone by the outline a little bit so thanks for just kind of <laughs> yeah, cruising no, around no. there uh with me uh but you know it, it kind of getting close to time to uh to wrap sure. up so um what are some ways that people listening can uh can be in prayer for you could um maybe connect with you support you if they feel led um uh yeah how, what are things they can do to, to to learn more about what you got going on Absolutely. So, um, yeah, we're we're in the process of opening up. Uh, for we've we've gotten so used to being to operating in a security sensitive or creative. I think now they're saying creative access environment. Um, so there was the communication was fairly limited. Um, I wish I could say I had a bunch of social media feeds, but I don't. Um, probably the best way to get in touch um, would be. Let's see. Uh, I mean, it's so old-fashioned right now, but the best way I can think of is through my email. Okay. Um, That's not so, too old-fashioned. Not too old-fashioned. Just send Jared a fax. He'll get back to you. Yeah, we're not that. I don't have a fax <laughs> machine. No worries there. Uh, no, but um, I mean, as far as uh, we're, we're working, I'm, we're throwing around the idea of actually having a website, which would be something new. Yeah. Um, every time we take one of these steps, it's like, is this okay? Is this okay? But we have to tell ourselves, okay, we're not, we're not security sensitive anymore. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we'll have more access. I, I will say I, I was off social media because uh, just because of the security issues surrounding it. Sure. Um, and after being in America in the year 2020, I'm never going back on social media again. I don't <laughs> Very think fair. I was glad Very I was fair. off. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have I don't have a Twitter feed or anything like that. But um, yeah, if people listening want to want to get in touch with me or just think about being a part of the ministry, you want to support the ministry. Um, yeah, I'd love to share more with you. Maybe they can just get in touch with sure with Collide and, and you guys yeah. can put them get in touch with the church. Me. Get in touch with me. However, you're here in the podcast, whatever. Just reach out and we'll get you connected. Yeah, uh, for sure. There. So um, yeah, as far as like prayer requests, I mean, for us, we're uh, we're we're we feel like it's right around the corner that we're going to be able to uh, travel to Singapore, which is really exciting um, for us. We've been waiting now for um, over. When we travel, it'll be about two years, a two-year process since we've learned that we were going to need to leave East Asia to wow. keep working in theological development. So we're excited for that, but at the same time, I mean, is, this is another move for our kids. Um, they've been through a lot in the last year just being here in the States unexpectedly for longer and trying to figure that out. Our, I could go on and on about the way our, our plans have had to change and change and change. But, um, yeah, just prayer for us, I, I mean, for... Shelly and for myself for wisdom as we seek to love our kids in the midst of another transition and where we came to the U.S. with two we're leaving with three yeah, so now we have another nice. one um, another one to go through culture shock and things like that 
Um, but yeah, just, just really praying, praying for our kids and praying for us in the midst of that. As far as ministry is concerned, yeah, just prayers that um, the Lord would start. To, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm walking into a new environment, uh, walking into a new culture, um, and a lot of it is new. So there's going to be a lot of learning for the first couple of years for me. So just praying for an open heart to learn what it is to be a professor, mm-hmm. to learn how best to love these students, and just to, to be able to meet, to meet these needs um, in the way that God's gifted me to, to be able to do that. Awesome. We'll definitely be praying for you. If you want to connect uh, with Jared and his family, please let me know. Uh, and Jared, just it's good to see you. Uh, Enjoy being I, here. I will. I will pray that I don't see you again for a while because that means you're that be where you need to be. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, maybe I can come great. see you out there. Come visit, man. Nice. And you can have some authentic food. That sounds great. Well, man, thank <laughs> you for being here. Thanks for being in our church today. Thanks for being on here today. And. Uh, I appreciate it. And everybody else, thanks for listening. And we'll see you again very soon.